Hi, Ed. Welcome back. Hey, I'm very happy to be back. Yeah, sure you are. You are now uh, at uh, Asia, Microsoft, Java team, right? That's right. I'm working to um, take the work that we all did in our community, which is a really exciting, great community that's been doing enterprise Java for a very long time, and take that work and make it available all across Azure. Okay. So uh, you are focusing on enterprise Java just or just overall Java or server-side Java? or I'm focusing on J Jakarta EE specifically and um, Java in general as well as a part of that. Oh, so your job at Asia is just... F so the official your official task assignment is focused on Jakarta EE? That's correct, yes. Uh, enabling Jakarta EE app servers to run very well on Azure in all of the different ways that people want to run Jakarta EE on Azure. Yeah, that's that's actually interesting because I mean this is like you know the old Sundays. Well, that's why I consider myself extremely blessed. In our previous conversation, we talked about luck and career things, and I have had so many great opportunities. But you know, when I just just two weeks ago. Uh, my team and I, we shipped an offer in collaboration with IBM mm -hmm. and another offer in collaboration with WebLogic, I'm sorry, with Oracle rather, mm -hmm. to uh, expose their respective app servers, Liberty in the case of IBM and WebLogic in the case of Azure, on various runtimes in the Azure marketplace. So Kubernetes or Red Hat OpenShift or Azure VMs. So um, you had asked about a, an overall uh, shape And you came up with this very nice document that listed containers. Mm -hmm. uh, and, we, you know, you'll put that in the show notes. Um, but basically, if you look at that document, you'll see if you're running this kind of thing, then you want this Azure service. And then the left column, it would talk about, uh, you know, dynamic scalable workloads. And then you'd say uh, functions or, um, or maybe Azure Kubernetes service. It, it basically had a table of all of those different mappings. And my job is to work with the, my team and also with our partners, IBM, um, Red Hat, and Oracle for now. And we, we're also working with Pyara. Uh, they have a, a really exciting thing called Pyara Cloud that we uh, sort of did some consulting and review of. So that's a really neat offer. Um, but the satisfying thing is to know uh, this code, this service is representing the work that I had a small part in with spec, uh, servlet and JSF and all the other things. But all of us, you're yourself included, have worked on over the years and the expert groups and the JCP and all of those things. Yeah. What's interesting, I, I didn't knew that you are actually aware of Payara Cloud because uh, this is a mm -hmm. dis distinct offer. What they did is just crazy, I would say. It's completely unique i would almost say so um yeah um maybe we can start from ground up because uh yeah. we have containers right now and uh right. so previously we would say docker containers now just containers because docker is just a product so um if i get a container let's say It doesn't matter what's inside, actually, right? Because if this is a Java code, who cares? It is exposed port 8080. If you dedicate some CPU and memory, it will just run. Now, I could take that, and I would say the most basic service I can get from Asia would be ACI, Asia Container right. Instances, right? Right, right. So um, so how this works is the setup is pretty simple, I would say. I need some... 
JSON-like configuration where I say, this is the container image, this is the CPU, this is RAM, and it just runs. The problem with this service is their cluster is not available, right? So to my understanding- Exactly. It's, it's, there's no orchestration. So this is like this is like a single container on your machine, right? That's right. So, mm-hmm. Okay. It's but, basically a, a cloud way to do Docker run. Exactly. And um, maybe I could run this in a cluster, but this I would have to set up load balancer something before. So there were lots of manual work and uh, this is probably not worth. So, and, um, so what is the next service to my, my understanding is, this is Asia App Service, right? This is more like ACI with cluster availability or cluster. Uh, not exactly. No, ACI, I'm sorry, uh, Azure App Service is also not something that uh, supports classic Java EE, Jakarta EE clustering out of the box. It's still um, underneath the covers. It is doing Docker run, but there's it's an older uh, orchestration technology that predates Kubernetes even, mm-hmm. um, but it has a number of great advantages, uh, mostly along the realm of ease of use. So um, a recent feature update to uh, Azure App Service did allow specifying an arbitrary Docker container to run that. Uh, prior to the introduction of that feature, the only way to do it was to pick a specific runtime stack. And underneath, it had its own technology that would wrap that in something, which eventually became a Docker container. And then when they had that capability internally, they're like, well, we may as well surface this now. So in fact, uh, when we have uh, JBoss EAP, on Azure App Service, it's using that technology. Um, but but still, when you run it that way, uh, you, there's no clustering built in. No cluster, uh, No clustering, what I meant is you can run two Docker containers in parallel. Yes, yes, you two, can. Two instances. On ACI, it's not possible, right? So because there's- Correct, correct. So, so I mean, for me, cluster, it means uh, HA. This, uh, this was, it's not like the Docker containers are not aware of each other. But but uh, the health checks are checked. So if one container dies, it gets restarted, and yes. uh, I get basic uh, HA without Jakarta e Java e cluster. Correct. Right. But some enterprises uh, would use, for example, JTA, uh, or they would require, um, you know, sticky sessions with se- you know session yeah. affinity and you know actual proper app server clustering like that was in the classic app servers of old. And that is the thing that we get with the work that we're doing with IBM and uh, Oracle. And that is basically, well, it's using a technology uh, called um, Azure Applications, and it's an ARM template, as a resource manager template. We like to think of it as um, executable guidance. Yeah. So a lot of but, what my but, team does. But you are already too fast. Ahead. You are you are too fast. So what I would like to yeah. do is you know, to introduce all the possibilities to run Java Let's first. Let's do it. Let's take a tour. So we have ACI, which was a single container. Then it was new right. offer Azure App Service. So what it meant is more usable because I could just right. use my let's say Payara without right. clustering. But I could right. two load balance instances. If they are stateless, mm-hmm. this would work perfectly. Perfect. With yeah. JSF, I had a problem because I need sticky sessions. So I will have to configure the load balancer properly with sticky sessions, right? Right, right. Very good. So, But you uh, can do that even with a stateless app as long as you need sticky sessions that um, are 
causing the traffic to always be routed to the same node. Yeah. And then if one of those nodes dies, then the person loses their session. But that's oftentimes acceptable. Yeah. This is what I'm actually doing. So this is what I right. let, uh, wanted to talk with you because um, mm -hmm. on Azure, we uh, use ACI for you no know, smaller apps, Azure Functions, which we will cover in a second, and uh, mm -hmm. Azure App Service, which is uh, recently available with, uh, how to call it, custom Docker images, right? Where you can... Right. Exactly. And um, you mentioned AKS, Azure Kubernetes Service, and right. I would, and, and you also mentioned that the Azure App Service is older than the Azure Kubernetes Service. So mm -hmm. my opinion of Kubernetes is a little bit strange because um, what I see in Kubernetes, Kubernetes is a great way to create your own private cloud. So you can mm -hmm. create with mm -hmm. Kubernetes your own cloud. The problem is it is complicated. So you will need to know lots of YAMLs, Helm charts, and uh, I would say it is more complex than Java Absolutely. was before. If yeah. I run on Asia, I try to avoid Kubernetes, actually, because ACI or Asia App Service are simpler and cheaper to run. So yeah. I would say, for me, Kubernetes is more like lift and shift, where I say, I have Kubernetes on-premise, I have no time to rethinking, so I pick my you know Kubernetes uh, workload and push it to Azure. This would be like you no know, classic Kubernetes use case. But if I would start fresh, I would com consider AKS or Kubernetes at you know at the very last because it is too complex yeah. and too expensive. Sure, right. So you yeah. are with me. So this is interesting because uh, we had lots of discussion with that. You know, with architects and. Well, um, let me share a new announcement that was just fresh from uh, our recent um, build conference. Or was it Ignite? I get them confused. Uh, the one that happened in November. Okay. Um, I think it was build. Um, we have a new seed service called Azure Container Apps. Exactly. And the basic idea of Azure Container Apps is take the sweet spot of Azure Container Instances and Azure Container Registry and put them together and allow something that gives you more um, power than either of ACI on, on its own, but less complexity than the full uh, open-ended Azure Kubernetes service. Yeah. So I am with you that um, I, the, the thing that I think is so interesting, and, and I'm very glad to have been working in this profession uh, as long as you have, and uh, see things evolve. And when we look at Kubernetes, we know, okay, this is just the same thing yeah. that have been trying to solve for the last 20 years. It's just the new version of it. But each time we go around the loop, we, as an industry, we get better at, you know, standardizing, not always with an actual standard process, sometimes with its de facto, sometimes it's just the way things work out. Um, but with the... Uh, this current run around the bend with Kubernetes as the, at the pinnacle of it, we do have a way to sort of represent the entire ITS state in a software artifact. And this is something that is um, really new and exciting to be able to get everything into one data plane in some sense with, with Kubernetes at the end of the day. So that's why we see, like, take a look at uh, OpenShift. OpenShift itself started as a, uh, a different containerization mm -hmm. technology, and then they reworked it to run to build it on top of Kubernetes. Yeah, um, and that's what it runs on now. But it didn't start out that way. 
but from my developer uh, perspective, mm-hmm. I have different perspective because um, if you think about this, what I'm creating is container, mm-hmm. Docker container. And uh, I, I don't care how the container is started, how the ports are assigned, and how it's load balanced. This can be done by Kubernetes or it can be done by something else. Mm-hmm. And um, mm-hmm. if I go, let's say, to Asia, I, I get the AZ CLI, so I, I can manage my stuff. And what's behind, I don't care. Now, if I would use Kubernetes, for me, it is worse. Why? Because I get, you know, the native Asia CLI plus the Kubernetes user management, ingress controller, and all the YAMLs. Oh, yeah. So I get both at the same time. So I would say in public cloud, is Kubernetes maybe not as simple, or I I don't even see the point. There are are specific use cases where you already have your own operator or you build package software and you would like to run it somewhere. This is just perfect. But I'm talking about custom apps I'm building. Kubernetes wouldn't be my first choice. Sure, I agree with you. But but, but the interesting part is, if I would run in a private cloud on-premise, Kubernetes is the way to go, or OpenShift is yep. easier way. Also, I would pick OpenShift because it's easier to to, to use, it's more convenient, but it's Kubernetes mm-hmm. under the hood. But uh, you know, this is a completely different story because there is there is no orchestrator on premise, but Asia right. already has several. You know, ACI app service and uh, um, Azure Container Apps, which is in preview right now. Right. And um, and what you will need on Asia is ACR, right? Asia Container Registry is a kind of a Docker registry, which very simple. And you push it to the Asia Container Registry, and um, and then the uh, usually ACI or Asia uh, Container Apps. I didn't try it yet, but this is my nas- the next idea. Or Asia App Service will pick the container from the sorry this image from the container and just launch it. And Asia will care about, you know, health checks, liveness, and so forth. And funny fact, I always hear in the architects, you know, from the architects like Kubernetes about portability. But if you look at the amount of deployment, descriptors, and configuration you have to provide, and if you compare, let's say, Azure Container Instance with Fargate from from AWS, uh, ECS, this is almost the same configuration. And in both cases, it is tiny. I would say I would spend less time of you know migrating the uh, AWS to Asia, then migrating Kubernetes. So this is actually a funny fact, you know. It is. You're right because uh, you know it, we want to have. Well, when people say portability, and this this is another thing where we go around the wheel. Yeah. Back when we were starting out, um, assuming a base level of J2EE, portability meant you could go from one app server to the other. Yeah. Um, now portability means you can go from one cloud to the other. Yeah. And the point you just made about, okay, well, if you pick Kubernetes, yes, you can take your Kubernetes estate, plain vanilla Kubernetes, and move it from uh, Azure to AWS. But the um, amount of complexity and config files you need for that to move it is a, gr- a bigger service area. Yeah. So if you compare the app service yeah. on Azure with the equivalent offer from AWS, AWS mm-hmm. yeah, it's... Uh, there's a smaller set of config files, so you just it's it's rewriting them isn't that hard? Yeah, is it, uh, no kidding. Yeah. Th- Thirty lines of JSON. This is what we're talking about. Right. Yeah, right. Uh, interesting. So, um, um, and of course, you know, the portability of Kubernetes is not even an issue. <clears throat> what we always get right. is, you know, security. 
right? How security works is completely different across the cloud. Yeah. And provisioning. This is the next part. People believing like Terraform, you can, you know, uh, write one script and deploy it everywhere. This is not how it works because Asia Terraform resources look completely different to AWS. So it's like, you know, I, know. I would say forget about portability. If you pick Asia, go to Asia. And if you pick AWS, go to AWS. And multi-cloud is, uh, I would say, harder than Java E on application servers was before. It is. Sure, because there's so many more concerns that come underneath the umbrella of consideration. Java EE always left a lot of things unspecified or vendor-specific, you know? Yeah. And um, you mentioned something interesting, Uh, Azure Resource Manager, ARM template. But what what, what it is, it is uh, like uh, a declarative possibility to declare your state of the cloud, and it will set up the entire environment for you, and um, what, do you, what you can do? The domain is called infrastructure as code. Genau. And, uh, you know, Terraform is one way to do it. Uh, and Microsoft, as you said, has a very large investment in providing Terraform access to its control plane. Uh, but underneath everything on Azure is the ARM template. And it is a uh, gigantic JSON file that basically specifies these are the parameters these are the resources that you're going to be installing or running, and then the outputs that you are going to send. Yeah. And there's an interesting technology on top of ARM. Bicep. Called Bicep. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. And uh, so the web logic on Kubernetes service offer that we built is using Bicep. Um, oh, that's interesting. But it, yes, it's a, a very uh, one of the first large scale things that uh, we've done with Bicep, and uh, it's been very helpful because. The complexity of understanding a gigantic ARM template, and when you ha- they allow you to do nesting, right? So you can have one ARM template call another, but it's extremely difficult to understand. Yeah. Um, so with all of these things, and this is a term that I came up with back in the JSF 2.0 days, the concept of a complexity tax. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's vital to all of these things. And uh, just taking the example of the app service versus Kubernetes, the complexity tax of app service is much less than with Kubernetes. Yeah. So as an architect, I think we need to tell our teams, really the important thing is the complexity tax. How much of it is there? How do you manage it? How do you keep it under control? Yeah. So step lets you do that. Yeah, a little more funny story with uh, Kubernetes or not that funny. So um, in a project, they use a lots of microservices. And mm-hmm. because there were lots of them, they used Helm charts. So this is like a mm-hmm. templating language to generate, you sure, know, sure. like what did it XDocLet, you know, 20 years ago. So now it's Helm charts. Mm-hmm. And uh, the problem was, of course, if you have Helm charts templates, they are cannot be that different. So every Microsoft, there was, you know, this the same slots and everything looks the same, but they w- were not even able to deploy in the, each service individually. So they had, you know, to to deploy everything at once because of the template structure. And then I asked the question, then what's the point? Why you have so, so many microservices, you could actually merge everything to one monolith and just ship it. It would yep. be way easier. And they thought about this and they say, you are actually right. You know, we are doing microservices just for the sake of microservices. But if we merge everything, everything becomes, you know, more manageable, which could be sometimes a solution. Another interesting technology, so we already covered ACI, Azure App Service, Azure App Container, uh, Azure Container App, sorry, 
And now, uh, a hidden service, which is really interesting, Azure Functions. Mm-hmm. Right. And Azure Functions supports Java. Yep. You can write Azure Functions in Java, and uh, they wake up. It's very similar to message-driven beans, I would say, except that yep. the, then they also have a result, so return value and message-driven beans were void. And uh, the interesting part is what we actually did is there is an official plugin from Microsoft and what it can do, it can um, make the Asia function available via HTTP. Mm-hmm. Definitely. So you're not sure. that excited, but mm-hmm. this is actually great news because what we did, it's... Quarkus, you can mm-hmm. use Quarkus and deploy a micro-profile application, which mm-hmm. is, a, you know, micro JaxRS. Of course. As an Azure function. And this is a complete different business model. Yeah, that's awesome that we can do that. So basically, it gives us the ability to do JaxRS uh, with functions as a service. It's yeah, it's really great with CDI injection, and it looks yeah, what we did with you know Pyara or Glassfish. Now it's possible as a function, and you right. get paid by per invocation. And now we are in the serverless land. So what it means is, you know, yep. whatever we talk about clusters, it is less applicable because you know the functions can scale up and down, and they're it, yeah, and it works nice. And what what uh, what what struck me is that uh, there is an official no Microsoft Maven plugin, which I mean <laughs> is fun. Yep, it's interesting, right? That's what yeah. my team in Shanghai works on. Yep. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you are you no know, you are not that excited. I'm very excited. Of course, we did it you know in Shanghai, but uh, yeah. And um, and um, it is great work, and it's really awesome that our team has has done it, and we're so tuned in. So, yeah, that's why coming to Microsoft and working on Java was a great step for me. I'm very happy that we have such a great team here. I also hope we get a chance to talk about Microsoft joining the JCP. That's another big deal. Yeah, we, we will, because uh, we we covered this right now. And I think we covered um, AKS would be the last one. So we had we covered, you know, the main technologies which uh, which uh, where you can run Java. And then you mentioned, you know, let's go ahead with the JCP because this is interesting, Java Community Process so uh, or the Eclipse process, what you joined, actually. We joined JCP, mm-hmm. um, but as a, um, a person who has been a long JCP contributor and now Jakarta EE, um, I would hope that we can expand upon that. Uh, and, you know, when the customer data indicates it's a good move and we have a good business fit, I could see that uh, expanding upon that to move into uh, Jakarta is something that I'm interested in. We'll have to see. Uh, Microsoft has made a point of telling the world that we are customer obsessed, and it is actually very, very true. Mm-hmm. So in order for investments to be made, uh, they have to be requested and demonstrated a need for by the customers. And only then will we go down the road and you know, say, okay, we're going to put money behind this investment. So in the case of JCP, um, we felt, and, you, and the world knows, that we have produced our own OpenJDK build, that um, we have our team that's uh, led by Martin Verberg and Bruno Borges and many other people, Kirk Pepperdine as well is involved in there. Uh, lots of Java champions on this team, Monica Beckwith. Oh, I did want to talk about that, mm-hmm. um, the concrete thing. Uh, Monica Beckwith uh, made some contributions to OpenJDK to port to ARM64, and um, that uh, was one of the things that demonstrated, well, okay, we're investing in this. We should probably make make the uh, relationship formal uh, by joining the JCP, and that's one of the reasons why we did so. 
Okay, this makes sense because this JCP um, strategy here is more like JDK level. Yes, and there is, it is. Yeah, because, yeah, but there's no JCP, you know, with Jakarta E, there's no nothing going on in JCP anymore. It's just like a, a, um, Eclipse. Uh, yeah, of course, right. Though so, um, there are certain technologies um, where we have some interest, like the talk I gave at Bill myself was about JMS. So, um, as you know, JMS 2.0 hasn't been updated in a very long time. Um, there is a new JMS spec coming in Jakarta E10, but there really aren't any changes in it. Mm -hmm. um, the expert group has been pretty, pretty, pretty quiet uh, to the point of, like, nothing, <laughs> actually. Okay. Um, but uh, Microsoft has a thing called uh, Azure um, Service Bus and Event Hubs. And uh, the premium tier of that supports JMS 2.0. So it's a JMS implementation. And uh, if we're going to continue to evolve that, it might make sense, possibly, to, to get involved at Jakarta EE and, and suggest them things on the JMS spec. No? Uh, Do you that's actually just know Mr. Ashish Chabria? I don't know. I had a um, podcast with him, and he's the PM okay. of the Jakarta Messaging Service on Microsoft Asia. So, okay. so we had a discussion, and it was actually a great discussion because Microsoft implemented the entire JMS spec, and it. Yep, uh, I know. Yeah, yeah. This was for me, you know, and and I and I asked him, yeah, we implemented this and this and this. This was like, you know, he just implemented down the entire spec, and it runs on mm -hmm. uh, on uh, Azure uh, Service Bus, I think is the. Yep, name. that's right. That was the topic of my build talk. Mm -hmm. Okay, interesting, yeah. and um. What's also an area which uh, of interest would be, this is a common question from my clients, is how to integrate authentication and authorization of Azure with customers directory properly that you get the JSON web tokens and you can pass them, you know, to Quarkus or whatever. This is also where I would say this is like gray area because it is clear from Asia what to do? I mean, you have to you have the AD Asia Directory service, mm -hmm. which you know, integrated with backend. But um, I would say, you know, like a common pattern or spec extension could be interesting. I would say exactly, and I think that would be another area where uh, there would be a customer obsessed business case for Microsoft getting involved formally with Jakarta EE to say, okay, let's standardize this, let's put it in there so it's in the official thing. Mm -hmm. um, but on the on the aspect of um, Azure Active Directory integration with Java EE, uh, the very first thing we did uh, for WebLogic on VMs, we had an integration with Secure LDAP. So um, we have some guidance that we've published, and we also have this in our WebLogic on Virtual Machines Marketplace offer, where you can specify an Azure Active Directory instance, and it will, if you have configured it to have Secure LDAP set up, it will take that uh, secure LDAP and populate the realm of uh, the web logic so that it has the the identities from that realm already built into the web logic. Okay. Configuration. So, so now let's focus more specifically on your work because uh, it seems like uh, what you are doing, you are integrating the common application servers more tightly with Azure. Right. We're making it easy for people to use them on Azure. Right. And what it makes, what, what it means make it easy. So what it means is it's like an application server as a service that I can say, give me a web logic and you get it or? It's kind of like run your own service. So you go to the Azure marketplace and this is all enabled from a business perspective 
by the bring your own license model that IBM and Oracle have. Mm-hmm. So if you have uh, both of those, there's a, you know, there's calculations that are done, see how many vCPUs and your existing license entitlement will carry over to uh, the same sort of runtimes that we have on Azure. So both of the vendors have pricing guidelines for how those are portable. Mm-hmm. Um, but assuming that all is sorted out and you've got your proper license compliance figured, um, you can go to the Azure Marketplace and say, okay, give me WebLogic on AKS and we will um, have this offer that installs the WebLogic Kubernetes operator and you can also even point to a WAR file and it will take that WAR file and build a container image around it and put it uh, in the Azure Container Registry that is also deployed by AKS and then run the whole thing for you. And when that's all done deploying, you have the thing set up with AKS Container Registry, the Kubernetes operator installed and everything is uh, running for you. And then you can use further operations like uh, patch, for example, using the custom resource definition that the WebLogic Kubernetes operator defines. And you said, uh, why you would like to push the war to a Docker registry? Usually it would deploy... Well, it's, a, it's an ease of use capability. If you want to just get something up, you know, fairly quick and dirty, if you would just want to have, like, say, you have the sample app that we use is the old uh, cargo tracker mm-hmm. uh, app. So you build your cargo tracker and you upload it to Azure Storage, and then when you deploy it, you can say, okay, this is the app I want you to wrap WebLogic and Kubernetes around and deploy and make available. Okay, because war usually it would be enough to, to push it to the blob storage. This is Azure blob storage. and You have you to push it? it to blob storage because that's just where the ARM template can get access to it. Exactly. But it's not Docker container, right? Because Docker would mean... No. Okay, okay perfect. But we containerize it for you. Exactly, but you are containerizing WebLogic for me, right? WebLogic with the war. Right. Okay. Right, right, right. So, um, but now, it's not like Payara Cloud because Payara Cloud is a really very interesting offer. What the yeah. Payara Cloud did, it by the way, it runs uh, on Asia to my knowledge. Yeah, yeah, sure. I know. I talked to Rudy de Boucher and they've, you know, I reviewed it for him and uh, we gave our endorsement of it. We have a blog post. Reza wrote a blog post about it. So we love Payara Cloud and I think it's a great offer. Yeah, and uh, why it's great? Because if you think about this, this is the uh, the um, I would say the uh, exactly op- exact opposite of what Corcus is doing. Because they say, okay, just think about differently and let's do the clustering on top of Kubernetes. And uh, what they are doing is, if you if you upload the war to the server, they will start spin off Pyara Micros in Kubernetes pods behind the scenes. And the Payara cluster will manage, you know, the pods instead of Payara servers, which I would right. say this is a great idea, right? If you think about this, this is like serverless server. Right. Because you you only have, you know, your, your workload, your war, you push it and it, it works. Yep. And can you also use Payara Cloud from Marketplace or how it's, or is it, uh, what's... Uh, I believe they're working on that. I believe yeah. that's the thing that, that's how they're going to expose it as an Azure Marketplace offer. That is the thing that, it's like the iTunes store for yeah. Azure. Yeah. So you, you worked on WebLogic. Then you mentioned right, but we, what, what other service? But we also have Open Liberty. Okay. So we work with IBM, and we have an offer that will, you know, um, you could run Open Liberty on Azure Red Hat OpenShift or Azure Kubernetes Service. Mm-hmm. 
And uh, it's a similar idea where you go to the Azure Marketplace, you say, I would like to have Liberty. Uh, you can choose ARO or AKS as the deployment runtime. And in either case, the offer will um, the offer will uh, install the respective operator. So there's a Kubernetes operator for Open Liberty, and it goes on both places. And uh, you can specify a um, Docker image of and the You don't. We don't allow a WAR update because you just actually assume that you have a Docker container that is ready to run your Open Liberty application. And then you just give it the tag, and it can push that. Immutable infrastructure, of course. No war updates, right? Right. Okay. Right. So we have WebLogic Open Liberty. What else? Uh, well, we're, we uh, have the JBoss EAP on app service. Mm -hmm. And uh, right now, uh, one of our colleagues at Red Hat is working on some guidance to validate and instruct people about how to do uh, Open Liberty on, I'm sorry, how to do JBoss EAP on Azure Red Hat OpenShift as well. Uh, but that'll be uh, our first step there is just to have uh, guidance that you can follow. So um, a market, the marketplace offers that we're doing is really just executable guidance that you can deploy. Um, so you can either read an article and do the steps yourself, or you can go and deploy the template and uh, it will give it to you for you. Mm -hmm. Um, I had actually a discussion uh, w uh, with, um, I forgot the name. Uh, Teresa? Teresa, actually, exactly. Yeah. Uh, about that uh, longer, because I wondered why you're not starting with White Hat. I got maybe some issues because Red Hat would like to have JBoss. But uh, I would say from the from the business perspective, would make sense, even for Red Hat, you know, to allow Whitefly... Because uh, uh, just just you know, if someone for Reddit listens, because I can tell you there are lots of clients. Uh, if they run you know uh, critical workloads, they 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 would just buy JBoss anyway. Exactly, exactly. I mean, it's the same thing. So we already got this figured out with the IBM side, and the interesting thing is the insight that this gives me into the um, rationale for the IBM acquisition of Red Hat, right? Uh, so. Um, there's a lot of important technology that IBM is betting on there, mm -hmm. and uh, that's why the share price was so big. Uh, and you can see that in the manifestation of how uh, much effort is being put into OpenShift and running the you know, uh, fully licensed app servers on top of that technology stack. Mm -hmm. So, But what we did with Liberty is similar. You can run either WebSphere Liberty or Open Liberty. And uh, most customers are going to be like, "Oh, I'm, I'm a huge enterprise workload. Of course, I'm going to run WebSphere Liberty." Yeah, anyway. exactly. Because yeah, and, and the same thing could be said for Wildfly versus yeah, EAP. exactly. Because if, if someone would like no save money, they will probably run on uh, how it's called Azure, Azure um, Container App Container right. Service. I forgot the name yeah. again. Container uh, apps, Azure container apps, container Azure apps. Container apps. Um, or even you know run on virtual machines blank, and this would be even cheaper. It doesn't make any sense from the maintainability perspective, but if someone would right. like save money, why not just do it, right? So that you right. cannot, yeah, right, exactly. So um, okay, and uh, so this is what you're working on, like your uh, integration, like a uh, more tight integration with Azure services, like for instance. So w w what are the integration points? I could imagine file service, blob storage, right, and and uh, AD. Or w w where do you have to integrate? So what's well. Um out of the first, you know, the biggest one, of course, is database. Yeah. So um, the offers that we are working on um, 
all have a similar path, which basically is give us the JNDI name, uh, give us the JDBC connection string, give us the uh, username and password for the database, and we will uh, set up whatever container-specific stuff needs to be done to set up that data source. So we have the same uh, the same result because we're leveraging Java AE APIs. But once you do that, then you can have JPA working just as fine as you ever would because mm-hmm. you're just having a JDBC data source that is the allowing you to create an entity manager and you're away you go with your existing but is, is, is there anything to do? Because, I mean, you know, the JNDI, you, you only have to inject the environment entry from outside, right? Right. There isn't much to do. Um, there's there's some conf- there's app service, some app service-specific configuration yeah. that uh, we do in each case. Um, but there is another service that was just recently announced uh, called Azure Service Connector. And that might be someone I would like to introduce you to as the PM for that. His name is Jin Shi. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's a colleague of mine, and uh, he's the program manager for this Azure Service Connector. Yeah. So it's basically uh, Azure Services as a Service, yeah. <laughs> which is really meta. Uh, but you know, it's a nice idea because um, it allows you to offload the work of connecting a thing to this team. So, yeah. Okay, what, what 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 I think is a kind of a proxy, right? Kind of like a proxy, yeah. The value add is that service is agreeing to pay the complexity tax, so you don't have to. They're, they're dealing with understanding all the different adapting things and, more importantly, keeping it running over time as the underlying services evolve. Because mm-hmm. we've observed that as a problem. Sometimes, like, okay... Like another service that people integrate with is Azure Redis service. Mm-hmm. So we have some guidance that lets you use uh, JSR 107 JCache mm-hmm. as the um, API to interact with Azure Redis service. And we are using Redison or recommending Redison as the guidance for that. Um, but those services evolve and change over time and bugs can be introduced or new service oh. pathways can be um added so the the value proposition for azure service connector is uh they're going to mitigate that and have it uh, you know a guaranteed it keeps running even if the services are evolving over time so this is like more like enterprise offer where i would say okay i giving to you something like a jdbc api for redis from asia team and we guarantee you it remains stable for the next 3 years or 2 years or whatever right. And exactly. uh, and it will map, you know, the stable Asia API to unstable Redis API. Right. Like uh, anti-corruption layer, right? Like yes, it's exactly what it is—an anti-corruption layer. I like that. Yeah, and this um, and this sounds meta or maybe a little bit over-engineered, but but what you could do with that as well, care about authentication and authorization inside the layer. Yep. This is a huge win. Because uh, every call goes through the layer, and the layer could could pass username and password to the backend. Right. And the next. Thing- well, that's why we have managed identities for Azure resources. That's the uh, you know state of the art um, authentication identity technology is managed identities for Azure resources, and that's uh, we use this for both of the WebLogic and Open Liberty on ARO AKS. Um, you can have either user-assigned managed identities or system-assigned managed identities. 
And uh, in the case of our offers, we have to create a user assigned managed identity because that's needed to run the deployment script that does the ARM template mm-hmm. configuration when the deployment happens. This is why um, I wanted to ask you about uh, Azure Function, because if you're running on Azure Function, and let's say you mm-hmm. would like to call a Postgres databank running on Azure, mm-hmm. which is available. So uh, connection pooling doesn't make any sense, because um, you know the Azure Function goes up and down. This is like request sure. scoped. Yeah. So yep. something like the, uh, the services you mentioned before could make sense then, because the mm-hmm. proxy could you know keep the connections and I'm just connecting to the proxy and it will forward the connection to the Postgres. Of course, the, I need a JDBC connection, not a proxy connection, which makes interesting. If Redis is more REST-like, JDBCs are harder. Uh, are you aware yeah. uh, what would be the template or how you call it, guidance for accessing from Asia function a Postgres database on Asia? I am not aware of that guidance, but I don't know if it, that doesn't mean it does not exist. Yeah. It might exist, and I, I'm just not aware of it. Homework. If you find something, drop me a yeah. mail. I will put it to the show notes. Mm-hmm. would be great. Sure. Because right. th- this is also interesting work, you know, because serverless, I consider as future of the cloud. Mm-hmm. Not mm-hmm. necessarily because we like, you know, this serverless notion. What I noticed in management circles, that they I really like the idea, pay as you go. So that at the end of the month, you can give, you know, the, the, the bill and say, see, of okay, course. you know, every transaction costs you that much costs. If a service is popular, costs you more. If a service is, you know, is not that popular, it costs you nothing. And, and, well, and, and this is what they love. And because... Well, I gave a, I gave a talk at Java 1 2014 okay. when uh, this was, I was working at Oracle at the time. And uh, it was when we had first developed the multi-tenant capability of WebLogic to run. And uh, at that point, you had sufficient commoditization of the entire cloud infrastructure where everything could be itemized and billed per use. Mm-hmm. And that's what made that, that thing alone is the single most important economic driver for the growth of the cloud. Yeah, uh, The thing you talked about, enterprises want to see uh, everything exactly quantified so you can budget for it and uh, manage the cost and uh, know where the money's going. So that's we're, we're at that's now it's available. You know, that, that level of transparency and granularity is now available. Yeah. But the thing you mentioned about serverless being the future of the cloud, I like to say that um, we've been trying to do away with boilerplate code for as long as people have been making boilers. Yeah. And that's a very long time. Uh, but you can just see the progression over time from Java EE, J2EE, I mean, the, in the right order there. Uh, but serverless is the, f- like, everything has been taken away, just the pure function. All the other infrastructure is, you don't yeah. think about it. Yeah, absolutely. But, I mean, what's th- the problem is, the serverless makes only sense if it's event-driven in long term. Right. And you would write the applications uh, differently, and you should depend more on the cloud services. Then it makes sense. I'll give you an example. What you can do, you can, for instance, write an uh, application. If you upload something to blob storage, an event is created, and I could listen to the event, do something mm-hmm. I could, for instance, initiate a you know, deployment automatically just by listening to the event. In a 
not event-driven architecture, I would write application which runs on application server and scans the directory. And if it finds yep. something in the directory, do something with it, which uh, which is which you know defeats the point because I mean this is like the service has to run all the time. I pay all the time for it is more complex. And this right. rethinking, this is what should happen. And uh, I would say in 2014 we had m- multiple problems in the cloud. First, I don't know whether Direct Connect or Private Link was available on Asia back then. What this is the possibility that I can directly connect with VNet. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, we call it Express Route. Express Route, exactly. Express Route. Um, and uh, this is uh, very important for larger companies because they would like to have. They consider the cloud as a private cloud. It's like extension of the data center. This is this yep. was not available before, and therefore I never used to know any client because most of my clients were completely not interested in it. I mean, to have public, right. I, yeah. With Express Route, which means this is like you know a direct connection to the VNet, which is how to call it VNet, like your your, your private uh, logical network. network. Network, exactly, a virtual network. Um, you can access this directly. So that was the first, I think, main driver that um, larger companies say, okay, now it becomes a little bit more interesting. And the next one, that uh, all the major services are emitting events. Azure Service Bus, your blob storage, so if you and if you're listening to the event, you can build inter or um, how is it called Azure Logic Apps, right? Where uh, yes. yeah, so where you can just listen to the events and do simple things just out of the box, like you no know, reading file, converting the file, storing the file. So you don't have to write app for it. And this is the rethinking has to happen, you know. I know, and I like to take this at a level further and think about how that would, if we assume that's how the world works, how would education, you know, teaching people how to use services uh, change. I mean, I kind of feel like um, computer science education has not accepted the event-driven world, uh, and I think it needs to, because if you learn how to do imperative programming uh, from the very beginning, and then you're like, oh, well, actually, now the real world is actually everything is event-driven, you have to kind of go through that mental mind shift yeah. If we just taught people how to do event driven from the very beginning, then that would be a lot better way to, to yeah. get more but powerful. Apps. My impression is all all talks I, I heard about, you know, event driven, they're a little bit dogmatic, I would say. You know, like reactive programming. So and 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 it doesn't have to be that way. What I think about event driven programming is if you look at the business, mm-hmm. it is I would say what I what I'm saying, event driven is more like a selfish, you know. I'm just here, I'm speaking with you, so event happens. And right. I'm not interested whether someone you know sees the event or, n- or not, this event is just persisted. And if this event is persisted somewhere, Azure Service Bus, an Azure function, which is mm-hmm. interested, could listen to the event and do something with it. And the main difference to JMS is, in JMS, I'm actually sending messages exactly to you. I know you. I'm sending messages to you and expecting that you're reacting to it, which uh, which is a better way of remote procedure call, right? So this is... Right. This, I think, ties into our socket. I was reading about our socket recently, and they have... Um, Martin Thompson is involved in this. Okay. Um and there's several different models of uh, interactions. One of them is fire and forget, yeah. and another one is subscribe, uh, publish, subscribe. So um, 
the fire and forget model is more like what we're talking about. Yeah. Um, the main difference maybe is in JMS, the topics are not persistent. Mm -hmm. In Kafka and similar technologies, they are. So what it means is uh, if you have topics, if you consider topics as a database, this changes mm -hmm. everything because right. you have the entire history of events and you can react to them. Yep, yep. Th this is the, the main uh, difference. Okay, so um, what else are you working on? So, I mean, this is uh, already a lot, right? So we covered uh, yeah. web logic, open liberty, um, mm -hmm. Azure Functions a bit, uh, Azure Service Bus. And we covered Wildfly and EAP, JBoss EAP. Yeah. Um, I think that's, I mean, that's my main focus. I also, as an architect, I have a role of advising other teams that are doing other stuff. So, I mean, I've given some feedback and direction uh, to the Visual Studio Code mm -hmm. uh, for Java team. Um, and then Azure services, for example, deployment scripts and uh, resource providers, you know, as a user of those things have a hand in saying, okay, this is the feature that we'd like to see, finding some future capabilities that we'd like to see in the ability to build stuff for Azure Marketplace, for example. Mm -hmm. There's a, when you build a, a Marketplace entry, you have to use this JSON-based UI description technology mm -hmm. uh, that lets you do a declarative UI that is in the portal. Mm -hmm. And coming to this from JSF yeah. was <laughs> a big step down because <laughs> I'm like, oh my God, this you mean I have to write the whole thing in, in JSON yeah. and there's no tool support. There's no, you know, and the set of components that you have is very, very small. So um, that's something that I, I would like to work with that team and help them expand that offer. Yeah. After moonwalk, we do sunwalk now, right? <laughs> Sandwalk. Right. Sunwalk. Oh. Well, we don't want to, I just watched Dune over the weekend. We don't want to walk too fast. Yeah, exactly. The sandworm would come. Exactly. So um, it was a pleasure again. So I would like to reinvite you back to talk, you know, on 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 your next uh, achievements in Asia clouds or Asia sun, um, and uh, yeah, where people can find you on the internet. Well, uh, let me let me put out a little blog post that I just published today, um, and that we touched on a lot of the things in our talk here today. Um, back in September, I had the chance to give a keynote at a conference in um, Switzerland at uh, ETH in Zurich mm -hmm. uh, called Workshop Taga. And I did a keynote there called Innovation, Gratitude, Compassion, and the Cloud. And uh, this blog post is a summary of the keynote. Uh, and I'll, you can find that in the show notes. Let me mm -hmm. just put it in the Blue Jay chat right now. Is there a chat? Yes, there is, right? Yeah. Chat. Here we go. Let me put the link in there so you have it for now. There we go. And that's that's my blog post, and that's where people can find me easily. Or Twitter, at Burns. At Burns. Perfect. Yeah. Thank you. All right. It was a pleasure. Likewise. See you next time, Adam. Have a good day. Bye-bye. Ciao.